Turn now to our sermon text in Exodus 29. Exodus chapter 29, beginning in the first verse. And this is what you shall do to them to hallow them for ministering to me as priests. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers anointed with oil, You shall make them of wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the bull and the two rams. And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron, and the robe of the ephod, the ephod and the breastplate, and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. You shall put the turban on his head, and put the holy crown on the turban. And you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head, and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them, and you shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and put the hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute, so you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. You shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull with its skin and its offal you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. You shall also take one ram, and Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and you shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around the altar. Then you shall cut the ram in pieces, wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with its pieces and with its head, and you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord." You shall also take the other ram, and Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the ram. Then you shall kill the ram and take some of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tip of the right ear of his sons and on the thumb of the right hand and on the big toe of the right foot and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. And you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments, on his sons and on the garments of his sons with him. And he and his garments shall be hallowed and his sons and his sons' garments with him. Also you shall take the fat of the ram, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and the fat on them, the right thigh, for it is a ram of consecration, one loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, and one wafer from the basket of the unleavened bread that is before the Lord. And you shall put all these things in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons, and you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. You shall receive them back from their hands and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord." Then you shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. And from the ram of consecration you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering which is waved, and the thigh of the heave offering which is raised, of that which is for Aaron and of that which is for his sons. 
it shall be from the children of Israel for Aaron and his sons by a statute forever. For it is a heave offering. It shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel, from the sacrifices of their peace offerings, that is, their heave offering to the Lord. And the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them. That son who becomes priest in his place shall put them on for seven days when he enters the tabernacle of meeting to minister in the holy place. And he shall take the ram of the consecration and boil its flesh in the holy place. Then Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. They shall eat these things with which the atonement was made to consecrate it and to sanctify them. But an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh of the consecration offerings or of the bread remains until the morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. Thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all I have commanded you. Seven days you shall consecrate them, and you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement. You shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days you shall make an atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word, holy and inspired and inerrant. It is useful for your people as well as true. And Heavenly Father, how we pray that you'd make it to be of use to us. We receive of it in faith. We pray, Lord, that more more and more our understanding would also be opened, that we would see Christ in these things, that we would see salvation in these things, and that, Lord, we would benefit from them. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so last time we considered the priesthood in general terms um, in chapter 28. And tonight in chapter 29, we are considering the consecration of the priesthood. Now, these are the instructions. Uh, They're not at this point being carried out. We'll actually see that carried out in Leviticus chapter 8. And it's nearly a word-for-word repetition of these things because, of course, Moses is carrying out these instructions, although the sequence changes just a little bit as a reminder that the sequence may not uh, entirely uh, be crucial, what matters is that all of these elements happened in that time. And the first verses kind of give us an idea of the materials that are going to be used in this consecration. And this is what you shall do to them to hallow them for ministering to me as priest. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish. Don't ever forget that, without blemish. And unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers anointed with oil. You shall make them a wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the bull and the two rams. It's a a good long list of things. And what it tells us is that there are multiple elements involved in this consecration of the priesthood because there are multiple elements that are being portrayed in it. Whatever we have... Um, In the ceremonial law, every element of those things points to some spiritual truth. And what is being shown in this, this ceremony of consecration is nothing less than the entire work of salvation. Nothing less than the doctrine of salvation. It's being enacted on Aaron as he then is going to serve as a high priest. But actually all those things apply to us. If you ever wanted to know 
What are the different elements and the doctrines and involved in the work of, of salvation, the gospel? These things are to be found right here in this one chapter. Um, so I ask your patience as we, we try to go through these things, and we pray together that the Lord would make them to be simple and clear in your minds as well as mine. But here's the thing, here's the, here's the list. Regeneration, atonement, imputation, and communion. Okay, those are going to be the, the four points. The title of the sermon is Aaron's Consecration, colon, a picture of of salvation. Aaron's consecration, a picture of salvation. And again, it's regeneration, atonement, imputation, and communion. All right, so let's begin with regeneration. And all these things, let me say, are are useful for us because uh, there is no theologian on this earth that truly understands all of these things to the bottom, to the absolute depth. Far less would we find in any even good and well-taught church where even the majority of God's people really understood all the elements of soteriology, that word, a fancy word, just for the doctrine of salvation. So is it useful for us, then, to look at the elements of the ceremonial law as they point us to these things? Absolutely. I found myself getting a little clearer on these things, even as I was going through the list, particularly because of the the obscurity of it. Right? This is some of the, one of the things that I uh, try to explain to our ministerial students, uh, the students at the seminary, that it is not a bad thing that it's really hard to go through a text and to, to work through it and translate it in, in Hebrew and in Greek. It is a good thing because actually if it does nothing else, it forces us to go in, in slower detail and opens our eyes for things that we'd otherwise pass over. Right? Just because it's so easy for us in the New Testament, just because it's so easy for us in the things of the gospel that we have, we almost forget the different parts of them. We almost forget how they work together. So this is a useful exercise, I think, for us. So again, number one is regeneration. Now, this I want to say, we understand that regeneration is a work of the Holy Spirit. And because the Spirit is indeed a Spirit, the things that, that kind of portray the Spirit's work often have to do with liquid rather than solid things. And here in this consecration ceremony, there are no less than three liquids that are at various times applied to Aaron and to his sons. And they all have to do in one way or another with the work of the Spirit in terms of regeneration. So first of all, in verse 4, Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. Now that's very straightforward. We don't have to guess too much what that is about. It's about cleansing. It's about the removing of what is unclean, because Aaron and his sons are sinners. And as they come to the tabernacle, they need to be cleansed of their sin. They need to be washed by water. So this washing of water points to water baptism. That is one of the things that feeds into uh, the sacrament of water baptism. And water baptism itself points to what? Spirit baptism, whereby the Spirit comes and does His work of regeneration in us, washing us from sin and making us a clean and fit place, doing the work, of course, of cleansing our heart primarily in order that we might even receive um, the word of God. Washing with water, and then there's sprinkling of blood. In verse 19, you shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the ram, thereby doing what? Identifying with the sacrifice. 
Again, what is it that we do with Christ? It's, it's his sacrifice is objective, but we identify with his sacrifice in faith as we lay, as it were, our hand upon him in faith. You shall take the other ram, Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the ram, you shall kill the ram, take some of its blood, and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron, and on the tip of the right ear of his sons, on the thumb of the right hand, on the big toe of the right foot, and sprinkle the blood all around the altar, and you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar, and some of the anointing oil, and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments, and his sons' garments with him. And he and his garments shall be hallowed, and his sons and his sons' garments with him. And so now there's sprinkling, and it's sprinkling with blood. And we know what this is, right? This, uh, not only is there a washing with water, there is a, a sprinkling and a picture of the reception, indeed, of the covenant, a blood covenant that is ultimately with Christ. And so also this blood sprinkling, which we spoke of at length uh, not so long ago, is also feeds into our New Testament uh, baptism. There's a washing with water. There's a sprinkling with blood. How is it that Christ and his benefits are applied to us? Well, it's through faith, but it's through by the work of the Holy Spirit doing this work upon us, right? And so you look at Aaron. He came in. He came in dirty in his own sin. He's been, he's been washed, pointing to the washing of the Spirit. And now we have this blood that is being applied to him. And then finally, there's anointing with oil. In verse 7, you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head, and anoint him. Now, as I as say, water is very straightforward, blood is very straightforward, and an oil is pretty straightforward too. It always points to the Holy Spirit, right? And so this anointing of the oil, let me say that the, the oil that's being used here is very special. It's described in the next chapter in Exodus 30, starting in verse 23. I'll just read it to you. Also take for yourself quality spices, not cheap stuff, quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make from these a holy anointing oil, an ointment compounded according to the art of the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. All right? So it's a fragrant oil made with exceedingly precious spices without any regard to cost. And it had to be purchased, of course, at great cost. Now, friends, what, is that, what, what does that all point to? When this thing, this, this oil, this ointment is being purchased and at such great cost, and now it's just being sprinkled on Aaron and the son. It's just being poured out upon them. Well, it's, of course, it's pointing us to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And the, the question is, is the Holy, it, was the Holy Spirit free? And the answer is no. Now, in the minds of Jonathan Edwards and, and lots of other very orthodox Reformed divines, one way to understand the whole work of salvation, yes, of course, a Christ sacrifice paid for our sins. But another way to think about the centrality of it is to say that Christ purchased for us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Without him, there's nothing. Without him, we don't have any of the other things because we never even believe apart from the work of the Holy Spirit working in us. And so this exceedingly precious Holy Spirit having been purchased for us is now being poured out and applied. So that this, this work of regeneration, it's a work of cleansing, it's a work of applying, and it's a work of indwelling. 
That's the thing. That's the difference. You see the distinction in these liquids. With water, it does the work of washing. That's pretty simple, but then it evaporates and it's gone. What about oil that's made with these kind of spices? How, how soon do you think it's going to completely evaporate? It won't ever. Right? It is there in his garments, and nothing will ever get rid of it. Praise God. You don't want anything to get rid of it. And so it is with the indwelling Holy Spirit. He comes and he does not leave his people. And we praise God for that. The, the indwelling, the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now let me just say that what is being pointed here, of course, is anointing. Anointing with oil for these priests to go and do the work that they're called to do. And the, the way they're going to be able to do that is through the Holy Spirit. And, and let me say that they're being sanctified and set apart from that. So they're not, they're not coming as ordinary uh, men in their, their uncleanness and, and filth and fallenness. They're coming as being specially anointed to do this, right? And let me ask you the question. How is it that believers are sanctified to do the special work that we're called to do? Well, it's by the Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit of holiness sanctifies us. He is the agent of our sanctification, Now, all of these things, the washing with water, the anointing with oil, and the sprinkling with blood, all these are combined into one New Testament sacrament, the sacrament of baptism. And so, for instance, the larger catechism, wherein do the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper differ? The sacrament of baptism and the Lord's Supper differ in that baptism is to be administered but once with water to be a sign and seal of our regeneration and in grafting into Christ, that identification with his covenant blood, and that even to infants, whereas the Lord's Supper is to be administered often. All right, so all these elements are being combined into one sacrament that is administered once. But it's useful, isn't it, that all these things feed into one sacrament, then pointing to many other things. It's useful for us to work backwards and consider the different strands that feed into them. The cleansing of water, the sprinkling of blood, and the anointing with oil. Okay, so that's... That's regeneration. That's the work of of the Spirit in particular. Secondly, there's atonement. Now, atonement is that special word. Again, anything important in this life, you will have a special vocabulary for. And uh, I don't have to teach uh, some of you young people to learn a special vocabulary. Anything that you are interested in, you will spend a lot of time researching and figuring these things out, and you'll have it down pat. Well, so should it be for the greatest of subjects, which is God himself and the gospel. Well, there's atonement, and that's the way that our sins are paid for. In particular, the penal substitutionary atonement, meaning that the way in which we are made at one, atonement, with God, a God, again, that we've offended in our sins, that we lie under judgment of God, The way in which we can have peace with God and be at one with him is through the sacrifice of someone else. Perfect sacrifice. Again, notice that the animals had to be without blemish. Because you can't just be another sinner dying. That's that's all the sinner deserves is, is death. But of a perfect lamb without spot or blemish, the Lord Jesus Christ. And his death on our behalf, that's what brings atonement for us. Now, there are different aspects of the atonement, and here there are two in particular that we're looking at. There's a sin offering and the burnt offering. So in verse 10, 
You shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull. That's the identification. Then in verse 11, you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Right? Not inside. It's actually outside in the door. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and um, pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. And then skipping to verse 14, but the... Flesh of the bull with its skin and its offal you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Okay, so it's, it's the, the, you have to understand that there's a different location for some of these offerings to go on. And in the case of the sin offering, first of all, it's taking place by the door of the tabernacle. But then it is being burned with fire outside the camp. Not just outside the tabernacle, but outside the camp. Well, what is that pointing to? Well, what happens to sinners in eternity? See, sinners are judged for their sin, and then they are banished, banished outside of the camp, outside of any presence of God, and in a place of torment where they endure the, the, the hellfire forever, the wrath of God. All right, so they are being burnt up outside. This, this animal is being burnt up outside of the camp, pointing to those things. Again, the substitute is taking upon itself this fiery wrath of God endured outside of the camp, exactly as this aspect of the atonement is. And so every time we think about it, you think about the, the animal or what remains of that animal being burnt up outside of the camp because that's what des- you deserved in your sin to happen to you. And then there's the burnt offering. In verse 15, you shall also take one ram, and Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the ram. There we go. And you shall kill the ram, and you shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around on the altar. And then in verse 18, you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. All right, so this is a different aspect of the atonement. Right, So taking the, the, the wrath of God upon himself, that's Christ dying outside of the camp. That's where Calvary was. That's where he died on the cross. It wasn't within the temple. It wasn't within the camp of Israel or the, of the city of Jerusalem. It was outside the camp. And now here's a different thing. The aspect in which God's anger is being turned away by the sweetness of what is being done. All right, The sweetness of the aroma coming up to him as a sweet-smelling aroma. And it is rendering then. The, the action upon God is, is from moving of, of anger and of wrath to sweetness and, and pleasure in these things. This sweet aroma on the altar inside the camp, inside the tabernacle, is pleasing to God. And that, along with the offering of incense, which we see in other places, points to what? The other aspect of Christ's work on our behalf, the work of intercession, right? We think foremost of his act of laying down his life on our behalf, and we ought to, but we should never forget that he ever lives to make intercession for us, and even now his, his intercession is as a sweet-smelling aroma um, to, to his Father. So there is regeneration, There is atonement. And so many things more could be said of this, but we need to make it through all the elements. I hope you see that this is just the kind of opening of an infinite book or the peeling of an infinite onion in which you can continue to learn about these things. Thirdly, there is imputation. 
In verse 5, you shall take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron, the robe of the ephod, the ephod, and the breastplate, and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. You shall put the turban on his head and the holy crown on the turban. In verse 8, you shall put, bring his sons and put tunics on them. And you shall gird them with sashes, that's the last thing, Aaron and his sons, and put the hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute, so you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. All right, so here there doesn't seem to be anything particularly sacrificial going on. There's no application of any liquids like with regard to the, the water, the blood, and the oil, but instead it's garments. What is this a picture of? Well, anyone who's been at the church for anything more than a couple of months have surely known uh, my, my delight in Zechariah chapter 3 because it's pointing us to the imputation of Christ's righteousness. And I'm going to read it again. All right? Zechariah 3. Now, Joshua, who is what? High priest. Representing all the people. Joshua, the high priest, was clothed with filthy garments, representing his own sin and the sin of all the people he represents. He's standing before the angel, who is the pre-incarnate son of God. He answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, take away the filthy garments from him. And he said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. Now, by the way, he doesn't say, here's the hanger, and here's your robe, Go put it on. He says, I will clothe you, even as Moses. Moses is taking the place of God here. And he clothes Aaron, his his older brother, actually, with these robes, with these ceremonial robes. It's a work not of his making, you see. Because the work of imputation is precisely alien to us. What is being given to us, what is being applied to us, is Christ's perfect righteousness. And so, so we have Joshua the high priest there in his filthy rags. They take those off and Christ puts on his own robes of righteousness so that the Lord treats us as if in his, in his judgment and in the benefits we receive now and in eternity as if we were Christ because we were wearing his righteousness, right? That's what the high priest reminds us. Of. Don't, don't forget all this. The representation of this high priest Because all these things that are happening to the high priest happens also to the people he represents. So if Aaron gets the white, perfect ceremonial robe, so do all the people that he represents. If Joshua receives the robe directly, not not from Moses, but from Christ himself, is clothed with Christ and his righteousness, then we know that all who are united by faith and the people of God to that one high priest who is the Lord Jesus himself supremely, taking it even to the highest point, we know that we likewise have his righteousness. Now what does that do then? Well, again, it's not so much, and it's not only that our sins are taken off us and paid for, but rather positively to our account, we have everything that Christ has. Right? So that's why we merit heaven. That's why we merit adoption. That's why we merit all those wonderful benefits. Eternity as the bride of Christ. Right? Because merely having our sin taken away doesn't make us really worthy of much at all. We, we, what else are we supposed to do as God's creatures but to be obedient to his law? Right? That doesn't earn us anything. But now wearing Christ's righteousness, well, that kind of gets you everything. And that is precisely what we have in him.
All right? So what do we see? We see regeneration, atonement, imputation, and then communion with God. This is probably the hardest part of it all to understand, but notice in verse 22, then we have these offerings, a wave offering and a heave offering. Raise your hand if you really understand wave offerings and heave offerings. Okay. Well, verse 22, And you shall take the fat of the ram, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and the fat on them, the right thigh, for it is a ram of consecration. Now let me just stop there and just say, for us we say, Hmm, I don't, you know, is this the stuff that is going to be thrown away? Not so for them, okay? And in any traditional economy, the fat is what you want, okay? The fat is what tastes good. The fat is uh, what contains all this energy, and it is the desirable part. It's only is what you get only in times of plenty, animals that are fattened. And it is this most desirable and costly part that is being reserved for the wave offering. Now, along with it, Verse 23, one loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, one wafer from the basket of the unleavened bread that is before the Lord. And you shall put all of these things into the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons. Okay, they didn't walk in so much with him. Remember, Moses is the one who has to go gather the basket of stuff and bring the animals. All right, he's the one who's bringing them, representing God. And he, with his resources, puts these things into the hands of Aaron and his sons. And what are they supposed to do? And you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. Verse 25, you shall receive them back from their hands and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord is an aroma made by fire to the Lord. Then you shall take the breast of Aaron's consecration and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. And from the ram of the consecration, you shall consecrate the, the breast of the wave offering, which is waved. Well, let me just say that both with wave offerings and heave offerings, you get it back. All right? That's the idea. So unlike the, the other kind of sacrifice where something is burned entirely, uh, whether outside the camp or whether on the altar, in this case, you get it back. So you bring these things, the very best of the stuff, and it is being waved to God, um, or uh, heaved to God, or waved to his altar. All right, that's the idea, is, is heaving is going up like this, and waving is going like that. But it's both the same idea, that it's heaved up to God and given back. And it's waved to the altar and received back again. And it's going to lead to something else in these things, which is the meal. The communion meal, you see. Because both a wave offering and a heave offering are part of what is a larger category of peace offering. The sin's been atoned for, okay? He, he can be in the presence of God, and now he is bringing something with which uh, a demonstration and manifestation of the peace that he has with God. And now they're going to sit down and have a meal. In verse 31, And you shall take the ram of the consecration and boil its flesh in the holy place. Right? Boil it, because it's going to be for food. And Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. They shall eat those things with which the atonement was made to consecrate and sanctify them. But an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. Um, and if any of the flesh of the consecration offerings of the bread remains until the morning, shall burn the remainder with fire. Okay, at that point, then it shall be burned. It shall not be eaten because it's holy. Um, but up until that point... That night, it is a communion meal 
with God and with those who have been brought into peace, a peaceful relationship with him. Because again, that is the point of all of this work, is the peace and communion with God that his people have, not because of themselves, right? No element of this is something that Aaron purchased, but something that is provided for him. And there's that beautiful picture then of receiving things in the hand of which we then offer up to God, receive back, offer to the altar, that's the way of offering, and, and receive back. And this is a picture then of God's goodness and dealing towards us, a token of the peace that exists between God and man. Well, you can imagine, surely, that one of the, the applications of these things will be the Lord's table. And I'll return to that. But first, let me mention a couple others briefly. The number one application for all these things is that we should be conscious of Christ's benefits. Our problem is that we're forgetful. Our problem is that we're simple-minded. Our problem is that we simply, we're like, our minds truly are like sieves in which the things come in and they just flow out. And we're forever forgetting all that God has done. And this sticky part, quite literally, the sticky parts of the ceremonial law help us to have something to, to stick in our minds and hearts of the nature of what Christ has done for us. The nature of our salvation, of what is required. Right? It's not just one element. We think of, of salvation, and, we can, and, it, and it's good, I, I guess, that we simplify it all in, in some sense to we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we're saved. That's true. That is a simple, straightforward truth. What do we need to be, to, to be saved? All we need to do is to believe on the Lord Jesus. But what goes into that, and what we should grow in our knowledge of day by day and certainly year by year, what goes into that is far more complex Work of salvation is the greatest work that has ever been done, and we couldn't even begin to exhaust all the meanings of it. But you have to consider the irreducible nature of, of the work of the Holy Spirit, working in us and cleansing us, uniting us to Christ, associating us with the benefits of Christ, and, and joining us to his church, and, then, and the indwelling work of that Spirit to sanctify us. We have to consider then the, the, the work of atonement that Christ did. And his priestly work is not only that he, he died for our sins, but also that he ever lives to make intercession for us. And so both of those things, he was the one that was, was uh, killed and, and outside of the camp and endured the fiery wrath of God on the cross. And he was also the one and is the one whoever lives to make intercession. And his atonement is continually a sweet sacrifice to, to the Father. It's not that it ever runs out, you see. It's perpetual. Upon every fresh, and we understand that the Lord doesn't need to remember things the way we remember, but every fresh remembrance, every time it is brought to mind, it is, that is a renewal of perfect and infinite sweetness. And he is fully and, and perfectly propitiated towards us. That no, no ounce of sourness or of anger remains to his people because he's fully placated by this wonderful twofold sacrifice, you see. So there's a work of, of regeneration and of atonement. And, and we mentioned something that maybe some of us don't always think about again of this imputation in which we're being clothed with someone else's clothes. I hope you understand that too because we never ever think that we have done it ourselves, 
Right? We never go around and say, well, I am going to now be held or I'm, my salvation in some way depends upon me making my own clothes of righteousness or of contributing in some way. Not at all. Right? They, they walk in, Aaron and his sons walk in with nothing. All right? Whatever they have is taken away and they are clothed with, with clothing that they didn't make. Things are put into their hand which they didn't buy. They didn't, they didn't buy that, that costly oil that's being applied to them very liberally as if it were nothing. All those things are at someone else's cost being applied to them. And we should think of this imputation of Christ's righteousness and walking around. And we should not fear even, not, not at all, in any sense of license with respect to sin. We should never be emboldened to sin, but the opposite by these things. But we should be emboldened to be in the presence of the living God to worship him and to praise him and to live with his people because we are wearing those wonderful, clean robes that he's given to us. Now, let me just say, I, uh, it, it is perpetually the preacher's frustration, the theologian's frustration that God's people are not as conscious of these benefits as we ought to be. So when I say be conscious of Christ's benefits, I really mean it. That day by day we should go through these things. What is it? You know, count your every blessing one by one. And the idea is if we are conscious, if we make ourselves a list of all the things we're thankful for this last year, we will be more thankful, joyful people. Well, how much more so with these benefits of Christ? We lack because we do not, yes, sometimes because we don't ask. And that's true and we should ask. But sometimes we already have and we're just forgotten about it. Okay, so be conscious of Christ's benefits. Secondly, uh, this, um, I, I won't make as big a deal of it because there are less ministerial students here, but this goes for ministers and this goes for elders. Uh, this goes for all of the officers of the church. Uh, we should be cognizant of the weight of office. Not that it crushes us, not that it's impossible, but consider these chapters that of the, the establishment of the priesthood it's really something. God really cares about these. Now we know that in them are, is found the entire gospel, is found the whole work of salvation, yet we cannot escape the reality that God has always had ordained men to serve him and to serve his church. And that there is dignity and there is weight attached to that office. And so among our many prayers in this time, as we all consider our ways over the past year and chart our course for the next is, that we should pray, that we're enabled to serve better as the officers that God has called us to be. There is considerable weight upon us. Thirdly and finally, we return to the Lord's Supper. Isn't it a beautiful thing that in God's providence we've considered all this and we say, wow, such spiritual truth is to be found. You almost wish that you were like Aaron and you would go through this process and you would receive this water at the beginning and you would sit down at the end of all these things having been conscious of, of things that have been paid for and clothed in the, the righteousness and the, the, the perfect robes that have been provided for you you can sit down to a covenant meal with the living God knowing you're at peace with him friends isn't it wonderful we have this God is never a God of minimalism people often ask why do we need these sacraments why do we need the Lord's table couldn't, couldn't the word enough do? Yes, it, the word could do. It could, we could scrape through with the word alone, probably. 
And there are people who, in, in the providence of God, have lived so briefly as believers that they never did taste of the Lord's Supper. Well, they'll be okay. But, beloved, God cares enough. He is so generous. There's so much in his hand. He desires us to have something more than the word. The word which we receive with our ear. And now we have the word which we receive in our hands, in our lips, in our nostrils. The smell of these things is not inconsequential. And even taste and receive inwardly these, these elements. Beloved, it's a great blessing. And I pray that we'd receive these things to our blessing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, it is an unending task. It is beyond the scope for us to fully grasp every part of all that Christ is and all that he has done for us and does for us in this great work of redemption. But we are thankful, thankful in your goodness that we have this ceremonial law which points us to Christ. This ceremonial law, this, this consecration of Aaron and his sons, which really is a picture of salvation. And how we pray, Lord, that we'd be cognizant of just a few more things, that we'd recognize all the benefits that Christ has given. And, and Lord, for all those who are not yet believers, how we pray that this consideration of these things would remind them that they too need to be washed and they need to be engrafted under Christ. They need to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit. They need to receive the atonement that was made by Christ and receive his intercession as their high priest. They need to wear in faith the robes that he has purchased in his imputed righteousness. And yes, it is their privilege then to receive communion with the Holy God. So Heavenly Father, how we pray that you'd bless us as we turn now to the sacrament of the Lord's table. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.